are in seasonal salutations. Welcome to this pod's second special bonus mini-episode. This one's coming at you in between episodes 33 and 34, so we're just going to call this one 33 and a half. I'm your host, Frank, and of course, thank you for hitting that play or download button. Number 33.5 is going to be short and sweet, kind of like the elf Hermie, the wannabe dentist from today's featured holiday classic, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the TV Christmas classic from 1964. Like the first bonus mini-show, the one that came out last month on a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, I do admit that I am cheating a wee bit here and venturing into the territory of television instead of highlighting a theatrical release, but it's highly doubtful that the podcast police will come knocking on the door. Plus, the production company of Rankin-Bass have this TV special, Rudolph, proudly in the ranks of one of their shining jewels in the crown of their assortment of shows. Shiny? I'd even say it glow. Before we dive into this 1964 television Christmas special, it is interesting to look at the origins of the Rudolph story itself. Step in a Santa sleigh and fly back to the 1930s. A man by the name of Robert Louis May was working as an advertising copywriter for the Montgomery Ward Company. That was a pretty big retailer that was at the time second only to Sears. According to columnist Nate Bloom in 18doors.org, in early 1939, the Montgomery Ward Advertising Department asked him to write a, quote, cheery Christmas story, end quote, that could be given to shoppers for free in personal cynical opinion, taking a page right out of the Miracle on 34th Street playbook and presenting the image of goodwill in order to increase business. Bloom goes on to say that a 1975 article called Rudolph Created in a Time of Sadness indicates that Robert May's wife, Evelyn, was unfortunately dying of cancer at the time that he was working on the story that he was envisioning to be about a reindeer. May himself is quoted as saying that his Montgomery Ward boss suggested a Christmas tale about an animal. He also said that he remembered his daughter Barbara loving the deer at the Chicago Lincoln Park Zoo. After May's wife's death in 1939, the boss at Montgomery Ward, well-intentioned, told him not to worry about the story and offered to publish what was already written without any further changes or edits. But May declined the offer, saying years later in 1975, quote, I needed Rudolph now more than ever. Gratefully, I buried myself in the writing. Finally, in late August 1939, it was done. I called Barbara and her grandparents into the living room and read it to them. In their eyes, I could see that the story accomplished what I had hoped, end quote. Montgomery Ward printed May's Rudolph booklet during the 1939 holiday season. They gave out 2.4 million copies. Because of wartime shortages on paper, though, they couldn't print anymore until 1946. So that's how the Rudolph story came about. As for the song, Johnny Max, who was married to Robert May's sister, put a few notes to the Rudolph poem in 1948. He was so confident that it would be a hit that he spent $25,000 of his own money to create a music publishing company so that he'd be the only one to own the rights to his song. And the next year, in 1949, Gene Autry recorded it as a B-side to a record single, and it was catapulted into the Yuletide atmosphere. Fast forward to 1964, and guess what? Arthur Rankin of Rankin Bass was living in Greenwich Village, and guess what? His next-door neighbor was Johnny Max, who composed the song. So Rankin turned to Johnny and said, Hey, you know, uh, let's make a film. They got together and eventually came up with a story to expand on the song. Rankin-Bass at that point was a production company in its infancy. It was founded by Arthur Rankin Jr. and Jules Bass. They would take holiday songs and myths and famous tales and add their own personal brand of creative license and churned out some of the trippiest television specials this side of Willy Wonka's boat ride. And just as recognizable as their specials, to me at least, is their logo that plays after the end credits every time. Rankin-Bass was active from the 1960s up to the late 1980s. They made generation-defining stuff. 
stop-motion holiday staples like 1968's The Little Drummer Boy, 1970's Santa Claus is Coming to Town, which is my personal favorite, 1971's Here Comes Peter Cottontail, and 1974's The Year Without a Santa Claus. But they went into traditional animation as well with 1969's Frosty the Snowman, 78's The Stingiest Man in Town, which is an adaptation of Dickens' A Christmas Carol. That one has Walter Matthau providing the vocals for Ebenezer Scrooge, and Tom Bosley of TV's Happy Days, Mr. Cunningham himself, Mr. C, as the narrator. An insect by the name of Bah Humbug. Get it? It's up to each of us viewers to decide whether to groan, chuckle, cry, laugh, or wail and gnash our teeth. But Rudolph was the very first Christmas special that Rankin-Bass made. It premiered on the NBC television network on December 6, 1964, and has been shown pretty much every year since. Before we go any further, for the record, I love it. I do. If you were to ask me if it reminds me of being a little kid, well, yeah. Does it remind me of being in college and watching it with a few friends with fresh eyes? Well, yeah. Does it remind me of watching it with a girlfriend at the time in an effort to convince her that I had a sentimental side to me? Well, yeah. Does it remind me of my own kids when they were wee ones? Well, yeah. Point is, is that this is universal. This can be appreciated at any age, at any point in life. Yeah, you might look at it with more cynical eyes at one point or another, but how can you not love it? But let's talk about that beginning. Its very first seconds play the Rudolph song in dramatic minor key, playing over black and white footage of real people pushing cars out of snowbanks, rushing down the street covering their heads with their coats, ferocious wind and icefall thus indicating to the viewer that these are horribly terrifying images that serve up an entree of jolly and merry with side dish of what the f***. And it's this drama of the first 25 to 30 seconds that are meant to hook you, reel you in, and never let go. So a hearty portion of Pathos is set up as we see these newspaper headlines from around the U.S. wildly spinning and zooming in over this real-life footage. The New York Herald Tribune proclaims Cold Wave, Twelfth Day, while the good folks at the Chicago Sun-Times scream, we're frozen, in their front page headline. Followed by the Daily Mail, wherever the hell that is, going on about ice peril warning. Then back in New York, the Daily News woefully laments, tough going, sanitation army digging us out. And finally, the San Francisco Chronicle drops the bombshell that lingers on screen the longest. Foul weather may postpone Christmas. But fret not. We get a friendly narrator in the form of a white powder sugar-covered donut hole who identifies himself as a talking snowman, rocking a killer goatee with half-moon eyebrows. He proceeds to narrate the whole thing and even offers up a rendition of the song Silver and Gold in one of the biggest time fillers since Snoopy spent what feels like 95% of his screen time in the 25-minute-long Charlie Brown Thanksgiving special wrestling a lawn chair that comes to life. So Sam the Donut Hole tells us to pull up an iceberg and lend an ear as he treats us to the story of the beloved reindeer, who is dismissed by not only the other reindeer, but also his father and the biggest jerkwad of a Santa we ever did enjoy. The only other thing I'll tell you about Rudolph's early interactions with the other reindeer is that he knows how to make his presence known when he sees a doe who makes his nose shine enough to signal passing ships. Who can resist the awkward sight of two stop-motion reindeer puppets acting like a couple of floozies and coyly flirting with each other and blinking their eyes to the beat of a few musical notes? So having grown up on this sentimental hunk of chime, like many of you possibly, I do have questions that I've been trying to get answered ever since I was a kid, recording this on a beta video cassette player. So if any of you are able to help, come snow a high water, I'll see to it that your angel will get their wings. If you haven't seen Rudolph yet, or if it's been a while, then be warned, cause here be spoilers.
Question number one. Alright, so the donut hole introduces himself as Sam the Talking Snowman. He tells us that he remembers that horrible winter from a few years back. And he says, you might not believe it, but the world almost missed Christmas. Sam, question. You say the world. Does that include the Southern Hemisphere? Aren't they like in summer mode at Christmas time? Australian listeners? New Zealand? Tommy? Shannon? Back me up here. You're both in New Zealand. Check out their show, by the way. Rewatch, relive, repeat. Currently on hiatus, but go back and listen to their show. Good stuff. Question number two. Alright, for reals. What the f*** is wrong with Mrs. Claus? Her husband is fit and healthy. He eats intentionally, as we all should. He's happy and content. She's complaining about having to take his suit and if she's unable to paint the word Goodyear on him. She skinny shames him. Is she doing it for the kids of the world? Or did she just take out a policy in his life? It's possible her motives are not completely humanitarian. And sweet lord, on top of all of that, she is pissed at him. Her eyebrows are upside down V's. She's got the Lady Macbeth thing going. But then Sam the Donut Hole comes back and he gets in on the act. And he reassures us all, Now don't any of you worry your heads about Santa. Mrs. Claus will have him plenty fattened up by Christmas Eve. That's great. Thanks, Sam. Question number three. The head elf, the one who roasts Hermes' chestnuts on an open fire when Hermes says he doesn't like to make toys, he goes on to repeat it verbatim to the four other elves who have been sitting right there all along. And one by one, they pass it on to each other down the line at the table. Hermie doesn't like to make toys! 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 So was the last one at the end of the table supposed to say to the elf next to him, Thank God you were here, because I missed it the first seven times? Question number four. Just how much are we supposed to trust, Sam? When we first meet Yukon Cornelius, he rides past Rudolph and Hermie, who are hiding from him by diving headfirst into a wall of snow. He goes over and yanks them both out, ostensibly to warn them of frostbite. He then hollers about how there's silver and gold in these here hills, yells out, It's all mine! and then hurls his pickaxe through the air. It lands on the ground with a resounding thud. He picks it up, sniffs it, licks it, and then dejectedly says, Nothing. Then we're back with Sam, who chuckles warmly and says to us, Well, what do you think of our friend Cornelius? This guy grabs elves and reindeer when their backs are turned. He hollows at the North Pole is all his. He licks metal pickaxes, for God's sake. Take him, Sam, he's yours. Moving on to some fun facts, try these on for size. The Rudolph puppet was only four inches tall. Go grab a ruler. Measure out four inches. Go ahead, I'll wait. While you're at it, here's another one. The Hermie puppet was six inches, while the Santa puppet towered over both of them at a whopping eight inches. But the crowning cherry in the Christmas fruitcake is the abominable Snowbumble who clocked in at 14 inches. According to TVGuide.com, the puppets out of nowhere showed up on the PBS series Antiques Roadshow. When Rankin-Bass finished making Rudolph, the Santa and Rudolph puppets were given to a secretary who kept them in her attic for years and even let her kids play with them. They fell into disrepair, were bought by a collector, the puppets, not the kids, and in 2006, the collector had the puppets appraised on Antiques Roadshow, where they were valued between eight dollars and $10,000. And one last thing. The poll results. This special has some choice dialogue. I put out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram four of the best to see what you thought was the shining red light on Rudolph's honker. On Twitter, 33% of the votes went to... Bumble's Bounce! <laughs> with 67% going for... Aren't you gonna laugh at my nose, too? I think it's a handsome nose. And on Facebook, Gail R. voted for Bumble's Bounce, while Michelle M. preferred I think it's a handsome nose. Kim M., my sister, threw out two write-ins. 
How do you like that? Even among misfits, you're a misfit. And the aforementioned and twisted food push of Mrs. Claus, saying, Nobody likes a skinny Santa. And my Uncle Joe M. offers up a write-in of his own. I'm cute. I'm cute. She says I'm cute. Well, time to wrap up, so as always, if you have any questions of your own or any answers to any of mine, memories of your own that you want to share about Rudolph or any of Rankin Bass's greatest hits, or maybe misses, I'd love to hear from you. Filmbuff1974 on Twitter, the film group Silver Screen is on Facebook, Frank Mendoza 1974 on Instagram, or you can email me at frankmendoza at yahoo.com. And that's it for this bonus mini-sode. Have a happy Yuletide. Enjoy your great Aunt Petunia's Christmas fruitcake. Be sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. And please don't hesitate to give Silver Screen as a rating on Apple, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you feel compelled to leave a quick review, I would love any honest feedback. My name is Frank. I'll be seeing you in the next full episode, number 34. So until then, keep on screening, and thank you again for listening. This episode has not been a Rankin-Bass production, but...